to episode 38 of Lime Ninja Radio. I am your host, McKay Rippey, and with me in the studio is Aurora. Hi, everybody. Is my producer, Aurora, producer and daughter. <laughs> Welcome back. We've been on a bit of a hiatus there, need to recharge our batteries. We entertained you, I hope, with some of the best of, if you hadn't listened to those before, but we're back live now. And we'll be live for the next few months here with new episodes to keep you entertained, informed, and inspired to battle Lyme disease. Yeah. Like a ninja. <laughs> By the time you're listening to this, Aurora will have been down at the Southern Tier Lyme Disease Conference. I think this is their first at Binghamton University. Binghamton University. In Binghamton, New York. And we'll have a report about that. There's some heavy hitters down there. Dr. Bach, Dr. Horowitz will be there. As long as, as well as a few others. So yeah. can't wait to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. This week's guest is Dr. Tim Jackson, and he got his start as a doctor of physical therapy and then has worked his way more toward the functional medicine kind of thing, which is an interesting journey. Uh, my hat really gets tipped to him and his work. So, Miss Aurora, why don't you give us some background on Dr. Tim Jackson? All right. Dr. Tim Jackson went to Wake Forest University with the full intention of following with medical school to become an MD. While he was an undergrad, though, he got involved in strength training and nutrition and became interested in what would become known as functional medicine. Overextending himself as an undergrad, he became very sick. Among his symptoms included fatigue, insomnia, stomach pain, and joint pain, among many others. He spent the last two years of his undergrad education trying to find somebody to help him. Unsatisfied with the hyper-specializations and the doctors he went to, he decided to take his health into his own hands. After a journey where, in his words, he was, he was prescribed antibiotics like candy, he realized the first step he had to take was strengthening his digestive health and gut flora. He spent the next nine years figuring out and healing his gut, eliminating bad bacteria, restoring stomach pH, discovering mold indicators in his lab results, and overcoming his genetic difficulty with detoxifying. Then he discovered he had Lyme disease, which he believed is why he had so much difficulty in fully, in fully healing his digestion. Now he helps hundreds of patients with their journey to health. His heal your body philosophy is designed to give patients a basis of understanding for how their body works so they can make better decisions about their health care and heal their body rather than simply managing their symptoms. All right. Thanks very much, Aurora. And here's my interview with Dr. Tim Jackson. Hey, McKay. How are you? I'm quite well. Good. Where are you located? I'm in central New York. Okay. Uh, about an hour east of Syracuse. Right okay. Right outside so of Utica. Experiencing cold weather still? Um, you know, today it's 50 and rainy, so it's like a heat wave. Oh, wow. That's great. Uh, yeah, I'm down here in South Carolina, and I don't know what the temperature is, but we have the air conditioner on for sure. <laughs> but, um, yeah, your state's one of the weird states when it comes to ordering certain tests. Boggles my mind. Yeah, you know, it's one of the things that uh, tweaks me 
up here also. Um, I mean, the patients can't even order them for themselves. It's really a restrictive environment there to, uh, they, I don't know if they were just looking for bribes or, or what they're doing, but it's so difficult for the companies to get approved here that they just skip over it. Right. Right. I mean, you know, the, basically the traditional medical model, they're scared shitless, excuse my French, because they want to be the gatekeeper for everything. And if it were up to them, you would need a prescription for water. Yeah. I mean, the ironic thing is, you know, they say, okay, supplements don't work, but then we want to make them a prescription. Well, if they don't <laughs> work, then why would you want to make them into a prescription? So we can sell them. Exactly. Those but yeah, I have quite a few clients. I have clients all over the world, but for some reason I have quite a few in uh, New York. And I'm like, okay, um, they just sent out an announcement. They can't send any more to New York. And they used to could send to New Jersey. Now they can't send there. So now I'm left with Connecticut. Wow. Wow. It's just ridiculous because it's people's health information. It's their information. Exactly. If I want to test my body then or my saliva or my stool or my blood, it's right. Whose business is it? Right. And so something definitely sketchy is going on there. But <laughs> I'll get off my bandwagon now. Well, it's f funny. I know some of my patients... Uh, get around it, they'll have the information sent to a relative in another state and then sent here and then sent back to them and then sent out again. Okay, so you're a practitioner as well. well I'm, a, I'm an acupuncturist. Oh, okay, awesome. See, I didn't know that at all. Yeah, and, and so I'm moonlighting as a, as a podcast, podcast host. Okay, awesome. So you have your own acupuncture. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. That's now, I looked into, um, you know, adding a couple other degrees to my degree. And a friend of mine, and you may have heard of him, Alex Vasquez, he has a DO, an ND, and a DC. Yeah. And uh, when he started his DO program, they basically started him over like he had just gotten a bachelor's. They refused to give him credit for anything, even though they were the same anatomy classes, the oh. same biochemistry classes. And which osteopath school was this? This was, I think, uh, one of the ones in Texas. It might be the University of Texas. Okay. But um, it's one of the top tier ones. And, you know, he's a, a sharp guy, but it's unfortunate. A lot of the programs out there, like even acupuncture, I looked to adding to my list of certifications. Mm -hmm. But like 40000 you know, or 50, Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it's become, you know, burdensome for a lot of people that try to, um, you know, better themselves. But then they come out with a house payment about the house. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, and it's, it's back to the same thing, the regulations that are keeping the testing out of New York. A lot of it is just a barrier to entry. Right. And uh, there's some, I mean, even when I, so when I got started, I entered acupuncture school in 89. And uh -huh. back then, we were rarer than hen's teeth. There are still people who didn't even, even know what acupuncture was out there in right. the world. Um, and even back then, you know, with so few of us and essentially zero competition anywhere, uh, the acupuncturists were concerned about, you know, chiropractors doing a little bit of acupuncture or podiatrists and, you know, even physicians. Oh, uh, my profession, the doctors of physical therapy, yeah. we don't do acupuncture, but we do trigger point um Dry needling? Yeah, dry needling. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we're not working on the meridians or claiming to right. balance anything like that. It's strictly 
um, tissue adhesions and soft tissue adhesions. Yeah, and those those are great treatments. I mean, that's part of the the tool bag. And my my position on it is the more the merrier. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, and then I, it becomes same way. I, you know, I try to give away as much free information as I can. Yeah. We'll hear it in podcast or see it in an article, and it's succinct, but they don't really appreciate the kind of. 12 to 14 year period it took me to piece all these things together you know it's nice and succinct for them like people are really spoiled i mean i get negative emails your ebook is down why haven't i gotten my free ebook you know (laughs) people just have this sense of entitlement but no i i think acupuncture is great i've read some stuff on it balancing uh th1 and th2 Mm -hmm. um and there's a guy, do you know uh, Greg Lee? Yes, he's a mentor of mine. Okay. Yeah, I don't know him personally. I've only emailed with him once or twice, but he seems to have uh, some good advice um, on some of the herbal things and um, ways to balance the body and things like that. Yeah, and he's he's become quite the expert in Lyme disease as well. Yeah. So did you or do you still have Lyme yourself? I contracted Lyme about, I need to figure out the exact years because I just make it up every time. It's somewhere between like 10 and 12 years ago. Okay. Um, and I, I had what amounted to, the symptom-wise, like a summertime flu. I just felt like I was run over by a truck. Mm-hmm. And then about on the, let's see, those, it's, almost, it's almost like an Easter story. On the third day, on that Sunday, I uh, woke up, dragged myself to the bathroom, and there was a bullseye rash on my left arm. Uh-huh. And uh, it's funny because I instantly felt better once I saw that rash. I was like, oh. And I I knew about Lyme disease, but I didn't know how bad it could get. I, so I, my thought to myself was, oh, good. It's only Lyme disease. <laughs> right. So right. we, we hightailed it down to the ER and got a couple weeks worth of doxycycline and I followed up with some herbal medicine and some acupuncture. And, you know, luckily I think it just, I was young and healthy at the time and got very quick treatment. So, it, mm-hmm. you know, there's probably still a little bit hanging out in there and that shows up from time to time. But for the most part, you know, I'm normal. My wife says I lost about a inch of my hairline. I did, it did hit hard. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, it does hit the hairline hard. I don't know if that <laughs> decreased blood flow to the endothelial cells. Me, um, I I know I got bitten. You know, growing up in the south in in the middle of the woods, multiple times. But you know, of course, the line of thinking back then was uh, Lyme's not in South Carolina. Right. Um, so you know, even if I had gone to the traditional doctor. Um, you know, he would have dismissed it and, you know, said that Lyme doesn't exist there. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I lived pretty healthy and uh, ate um, as much organic as I could. I exercised, tried to have good sleep hygiene, and then my symptoms kind of came back or got worse after I had a surgery. Oh, really? And um, so the jaw surgery, which, you know, in hindsight was really an unnecessary procedure, but, um, were you having you know, TMJ or something? Yeah, TMJ. They broke my mandible, added bone to my maxilla, 22 or 26 titanium screws. Wow. Six titanium plates. And then this past summer, I went back and had them. Um, I found a, a somewhat holistic um, oral surgeon at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. And he was the only one willing to go in and take as many as he could out. Um, there was like four left that he couldn't get to. He said it would just cause too much pain because there's bone 
that had grown around it. Sure. But interestingly enough, in Germany, if they do that sort of procedure, they actually bring the patient back. Stages. You don't have to seek them out, and, and they take the, um, the metal out because yeah. I never had the MELISA test, but, you know, that could be a stressor to my immune system. Yep. And I still need to get another, you know, Cavitron or Cavitot scan done to see if it's all gone. But, yeah, I'm, I, I see it as kind of a, a journey. You know, each thing I do helps me a little bit. But um, antibiotics, for whatever reason, um, didn't um, do much for me. I did a lot of oral antibiotics, and they just didn't do much. Yeah. So yours is pretty much gone then because you caught it right when it happened. I, I, that's what I think. You know, that's awesome. It it really yeah. is. I consider myself very lucky. Yeah. I mean, you know, I look back and kick myself every day, but, you know, I just try to move forward because you can't go back and change the past. And, um, you know, no one really, I don't think we even knew what the word Lyme was. Yeah, exactly. Eighties, um, you know, down in South Carolina. Yeah. It was just starting to come into consciousness and really in the Northeast. So, yeah. yeah, it's, you know, it's, I mean, even today, you, I'm sure you run into people who are calling you up and you're thinking in the back of your mind, you know, you, we really need to test you for some sort of infection. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I get a lot of people that I, I test for infections and, um, you know, not just the Lyme, but the, the viral titers like HHV6 and things like that. Um, Epstein-Barr, CMV, mycoplasma, since they can all play a role in that, you know, cytokine response. Yeah, and then, so how do you address it? What do you recommend? Uh, for, are we recording yet, or no? Yeah, we're, we're deep into it, buddy. Oh, we're deep into it, okay. Um, all right, so the way I address it is basically uh, looking at a combination of things. First of all, I want to see how stable the person is. Um, and then, you know, from there, I work them in certain supplements. Uh, I try to calm down any inflammatory, mm-hmm. um, markers or as much as I can, because I know that if I give them an antimicrobial, it's going to create more die off and they're going to have more Herxheimer type symptoms. Yeah. So if people can tolerate things like curcumin and turmeric, um, Boswellia, you know, I tend to, uh, suggest those things to kind of calm down the baseline inflammation, um, make sure obviously the bowels are moving um, because you never want to, you know, kill off more than you can detox. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. So uh, I use a combination of different herbs. I use some of the Dr. Calden herbs. Mm-hmm. Um, I've used some of the Stephen Bunner herbs. Yep. I use some of the Desiree Biologicals. Um the homeopathic products that they have, different strengths, they go up to 10M, and, you know, they have some that are specific for Lyme yep. and one that goes for Lyme and Babesia. And, you know, it, it's people ask me how they work, and it's kind of hard to explain. <laughs> I mean, well, A, I'm not sure really any, anyone really knows. Yeah, but exactly. two, I just know that I see pretty good results sometimes right. with right. them, especially if you catch someone early on. But, yeah, so I, I do that, and then I also include, um, you know, some form of binders. Uh, if they're working with an LLMD, you know, who gives them cholesteramine, um, and they can tolerate that, then that's fine. Um, if not, I usually recommend Cholesta Pure from Thorn Research 
or uh, Takafimi Supreme from, um, I forget the company's name, but it's basically, you know, from Bamboo. Mm-hmm. And use those because 25% of the population, you know, is going to have the HLA um, DR genotype. And that's going to make it hard to get rid of the Lyme and mold biotoxins. Right. My, and this is just my theory and speculation, that a reason a lot of times people get sick is not necessarily a die-off, but an inability to detox. What's yeah. It seems to be one of the consistent stories when I uh, interview people who've really suffered with Lyme over multiple years it almost always includes, you know, a, a detox problem, uh, whether it's the MTHFR or, or or some other thing that's going on with them. Yeah, yes, yeah. so I do a good bit of work with MTHFR and the Twenty Three and Me type test. Yep. Um, you know, and have them interpreted through one of the services. But uh, sometimes people will get a bit myopic with those, and they think that, okay, I have this polymorphism or uh, this SNP, so I need these three supplements. But mm-hmm. just because you have the polymorphism doesn't mean it's necessarily expressing. Yeah, That's right. have to really, um, you know, test the other biomarkers. Like, you know, so let's say someone has cytochrome P1A2 and 1B1. So what's um, that? Help me out. Cytochrome about- P450 system, the phase one liver detox. Okay, yep. So if you have a SNP in the 1A2 or the 1B1, that can affect um, the ability to break down estrogen. Mm-hmm. So it leads to an increased enterohepatic circulation of estrogen. So there's a tendency there for, for estrogen dominance. But you may do a hormone panel, whether it's blood or 24-hour urine, and see that the person is not estrogen dominant. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm not a big fan of saying, okay, you know, just because you have this, you need all of these Yeah. Do you, do you know Jimmy Moore by any chance? Yeah, I just was on his podcast. Oh, fabulous. Um, he's, he, he's what inspired me to get started on my own. I've been listening to him for however long he's been on the, on the Internet. Uh-huh. And he talks about, geez, this is probably five, seven years ago. There's a company starting up doing some genetic testing, you know, and they approached him because he had the huge audience. And uh, they basically said, well, based on your genotype, you should be eating a high-carbohydrate diet. And mm-hmm. for those of you out there who don't know, Jimmy Moore has been an advocate of a low-carbohydrate diet and kind of started out in the Atkins world and has moved into the paleo world and is now talking about ketogenic uh, diets as a, as a way to kind of keep the carbs down in your body uh, operating functionally. So essentially, you got this genetic uh test done and the the test told him that this is how you need to eat but he has ex, you know lots of experience that if he eats that way he doesn't feel good he gets sick and he gains tons of weight so right. there's so much more you know we thought we'd unlock the world once we figured out how to uh sequence our, our genome and, right but there's so there's so much more you know is the gene turned on is it turned off is it halfway on it's, right, and so that's what I tell people. You know, you can be homozygous for every polymorphism on your report, mm-hmm. but if your circadian cycle's good, you keep EMF exposure low, um, you eat mostly organic, you work on your gut health, balance your hormones, then that's going to cause the quote-unquote good gene to be turned on. Right. Um, you know, if you're eating Twinkies all day long and sitting on the couch, 
um, you know, then the bad genes are going to get turned on and going to express. Unfortunately, a lot of people today, you know, newborns are coming into the world with between 200 and 250 known carcinogens. Right. Um, and so then we, you know, overload them with vaccines with aluminum, which is synergistic with um, Roundup and with mercury, um, and it's been shown to activate the microglial cells in the brain. And when those microglial cells are activated, um, it can lead to um, regression or um, impaired development, neurological development, um, and, and brain fog, and a lot of other symptoms, mood issues, tantrums, things like that. So uh, the infections, you know, a lot of people think, okay, I have an infection, I kill it, and that's it. But right. it, it, it hacks into the other systems of the body. Um, for its own, you know, advantage, it hacks into the hormonal system and causes more cortisol and lower alpha MSH. Hacks into the neurotransmitters and usually raises norepinephrine and dopamine and lower serotonin, things like that. But you know, you can have other imbalances just depending on the person. So, like you said, you know, if someone comes to me with a report from the 23andMe test. I usually don't start there unless they've been working for a long time on their gut health and they have really good digestion. I really tend to focus on optimizing gut health first since if gut health is not optimal, that can affect liver pathways. Um, and, you know, those liver pathways are what we want to be turned on to go right. to box. So optimizing the gut can indirectly help with um, detox. And so how do you do that? Are you using supplements? Are you changing diets or all of the above? Usually with approach? who have, um, like let's say they do a stool test and they have, you know, blastocystis hominis or Giardia or something, you know, there's a combination of herbs you can use. Uh, if those don't work, I usually refer them to their MD um, to have them use an antiparasitic mm -hmm. or an antibiotic. But um, my overall approach is to break up the biofilm in the gut, right. then hit it with an antimicrobial mm -hmm. um, product. So sometimes I'll use a product like biocidin. Um, sometimes I'll use things like silver. Um, but the, the biofilm, I think, is important because it allows the antimicrobial to uh, work better, has better access to those pathogens. The other thing that can happen, and I've had some people, even without taking an antimicrobial, they um, take a, like an interphase or interphase plus or a buloki, and they'll hurt just from that. And, you know, from everything I've read and what I kind of speculate is that there's metals being released hmm. um, because the metals, you know, are synergistic with the pathogens. Okay. They're kind of hanging out there. Yep. And when you break up that biofilm, you know, you can release some metals, but also it allows the immune system to come in to play um, there. So that's how I typically approach it. But then I also tell them, you know, you can't kill your way to health. Um, <laughs> you know, that's what a mentor of mine said. You know, you that's a great killing phrase. things that's fine, right. but yep. you can't just keep killing, 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 killing. Right. Um, it's got to be optimizing the terrain yeah. and in the gut, you know, the, the GI sequencing, the first thing that we look at is 
you know, how much stomach acid. And, mm-hmm. you know, some people will go to their MD and get the Heidelberg capsule test and measure the exact amount of stomach acid. Other people I have do the, you know, at-home test where they start with two capsules with each meal and then kind of go up until they feel some discomfort and go down one from there, and that's their dose. And you're talking about the betaine HCL or something yeah, like that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The only cautionary so, note I would have about that is that you want to make sure you've calmed down any gut mucosal inflammation okay. first, um, because if you don't, it's like putting gasoline on a fire. <laughs> And, you know, people, uh, it, it won't feel good. So uh, I use a variety of products to help heal and repair the gut and mucosa. One question I get a lot is that, you know, should I do GAP? Should I do right. specific carbohydrate diet? Yep. Things like that. I think those are all great diets. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you have an infection, I don't think just changing the diet is going to kill that pathogen. Right. Right, and um, it certainly uh, helps, but I don't think it will do it all by itself. Yeah, I, I, that's my experience also. And so let's back up here a little bit because I think some people don't understand the benefit of having sufficient stomach acid and really what a pervasive problem that is. Because all we hear on television is take the purple pill, you know, or take tums and reduce your stomach acid because any problem you have is because you have too much stomach acid. So right. why why do you want stomach acid? Well, every nutrient in your body, with the exception of oxygen, if we classify that as a nutrient, has to come through your digestive tract. So if you have malabsorption, maldigestion, dysbiosis, etc., every cell in your body, from the cells in your brain to the cells in your um, genitalia to the cells in your feet, <laughs> are going to be nutritionally deficient because you're not absorbing your vitamins, you're not absorbing your minerals, and you're not breaking down your macronutrients. So it all starts with stomach acid. And what people never really understand is that stomach acid declines as we age. So if high stomach acid were the cause of the problem, then every high school senior in America would have uh, acid reflux. Mm -hmm. So that's when your levels are highest, when you're Mm -hmm. younger. But that's not what happens. It happens as we get older because what happens is, you know, you... If some people, there's a very small percent that do produce too much stomach acid. But the majority of people, there's that lower esophageal sphincter at the bottom of the esophagus, and it has these chemoreceptors on it that get activated when there's stomach acid present. Well, if you only have a little bit of stomach acid, it doesn't activate it enough. So the valve, um, the, the sphincter remains open, and the acid that you do have travels superiorly up towards the head. So then you get what appears to be acid reflux, and I guess you could say it's acid reflux, but it's not due from a, um, an overabundance of stomach acid. It's due to a deficiency of stomach acid. Yeah, that's a beautiful explanation. It's you know that's one of my key points uh, for patients coming in because almost all of them have some sort of stomach or heartburn issue from time to time, and many of them are on a uh, you know, some type of acid reducing either over the counter or prescription. Yep. And it's, it's like, you're not going to heal from your chronic problem if you can't get the nutrition broken down by your stomach. Yeah. You know? And then the other thing that happens is, so these are the same people they'll, you know, they'll be eating a decent diet, 
not having the stomach acid, but then they have to take 10,000 supplements because they can't digest the food that they're eating. Right. You know, so they're exactly. spending, you know, hundreds of dollars a month on supplements because they just need some more stomach acid. Yeah. I mean, that's what I tell people, you know, on the commercial for whatever, Nexium, whatever that crap's called. Um, <laughs> Excuse my language. I don't know. Can I say crap on here? Uh, yeah, we'll put a little warning that if you're overly sensitive to uh, <laughs> the word crap, you shouldn't listen. Are they calling those now trigger warnings? Um, Either yeah, that or I, I, could, I could bleep it out for you if you want. <laughs> it, it, it's up to you. I just I get frustrated because people are borderline osteoporotic yes, already and exactly. they get put on a stomach acid yeah. reducer. And then they're definitely going to develop osteoporosis. Yeah, it's malpractice. It really is. It's just and so how so you you went through the standard medical training. I mean, you you kind of went a different direction because you've got a doctorate in physical therapy. But uh-huh. How how does this basic information not get taught? I mean, this is this is physiology one hundred and one. Exactly. Uh, I can tell you exactly why, because uh, when I look back to my textbook from my doctorate program, even my program on the inside cover, it would say sponsored in part by Merck yeah. or AstraZeneca. Okay. So, uh, and, and I remember when I was in my doctorate program, a friend of mine came to interview for a residency position, and the guy was trying to recruit him, and he said, hey, this pharmaceutical company, they sponsor my band, they pay for our T-shirts our gear, our travel expenses, you know, you can do speaking gigs that pay $1,500 an hour. Um, So a pharmaceutical industry has a really, really strong hold on the education. It's basically they decide what gets taught and what doesn't get taught. Hmm. Like you said, if you look back at basic physiology and then look at some of the practices in healthcare, they go against that very physiology. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think there's multiple reasons. Um, you know, our health care system is obviously, you know, in a huge crisis. But, um, you know, what people oftentimes don't understand is, you know, they, they're focused on insurance, but insurance doesn't cover the stuff that's the most helpful. <laughs> so, um, you know, insurance is, I mean, great, you know, if you're in a car accident or have an emergency, but, you know, outside of that, it doesn't do a very good job of paying for the therapies and treatments that um, are, are the best suited for the individual. Yeah. Well, we're we're in danger of getting me to stand up on one of my soapboxes, so um, we'll we'll let the insurance discussion uh, fade away for another day because it is it is a mess. Yeah. You know, the other thing that's very interesting is. When listening to physicians who've come over to the light side, I'll say from the dark side, uh-huh. it almost always starts with a personal health crisis, whether with themselves or within their family. And then, you know, they get interested and they dive back into the literature and then they're astounded to find, you know, study after study showing exactly the opposite of what they were taught in med school. But it's right. it's right there. It's not like this stuff is hidden. It's not like it's you know you need some secret handshake from the from the hippies you know down at the end of the road. It's like this right. is it's standard medical stuff that's, that's out there. Thing. I mean, people and I, I don't want to go too far topic on vaccines, but you go to PubMed and I can bring up at least eight to ten studies showing negative reactions in certain populations to vaccines. Yeah. 
And, you know, but there's so much literature out there. The problem is that most doctors, most traditional MDs are so specialized. They, you know, they're gastroenterologists. They're, they might read the gastroenterology journals, but they don't read how cytokines or stomach acid or hormones or neurotransmitters can affect the gut. And then you have the neurologist reading about neurotransmitters and the nervous system, but they don't read about how the gut affects the nervous system. And so, I mean, in certain cases, you know, having that much specialization is good. Right. But in most cases, we need to know more about more things. Right. Yeah, and, the, and there is, you know, in, in their defense, there's only so much time to keep caught up and to, like I said, it takes a personal crisis to broaden their horizon and get out of their silo, their medical silo. Yeah, I, was, I mean, I have, I think, five clients who are MDs themselves and, you know, they, they want to switch over and I'm going to do my best to help them, you know, with what I know. Um, but, you know, they realized that they weren't taught a lot in school and the truth of the matter, the stuff is, that we're talking about isn't taught in any school, even naturopathic school. Hmm. Um, I mean, they may get slightly more of it, but not to the extent that, you know, you really need to learn to apply and integrate it. Yeah, you know, that's that's one of the problems, quote-unquote problems, that we have, too, is w- once you kind of come over into this world and whether you enter it through the Lyme uh, portal or through, uh, uh, you know, digestive health portal or, or whatever it is, you forget what it was like before you had this information. Right. And we're just, and, and so totally stumbling around in the dark because you're just believing things that just aren't true. Right. Right. You know, for, for, again, for whatever reasons, we don't have to get into conspiracy stuff, but it just, that's the way stuff got organized. Well, I call it evidence bias medicine instead of evidence based. Because even there's a great article, um, British Medical Journal, one of the most famous medical journals in the world, came out and the title of the article said, Evidence Based Medicine is Dead. (laughs) And they went into these very topics we brought up about, you know, the corruption with the pharmaceutical industry, how they doctor the data, how they won't report negative studies, they'll wait until they get a positive result and then report those. Um, but I think legally, if you call the pharmaceutical company up and you ask them for the studies, I think they have to, by law, give them to you. So there could have been 100 studies showing negative effects of this medicine. But then they get one that shows some positive benefit, sure. and, and then that's what they publicize. Yeah, of course. It's- and so, yeah, I mean, and that, that's a huge, huge problem. Um for our medical system and patients and, you know, how we try to get things done. Right. There's, I think scientifically we kind of had this idea that the science has overcome uh, human egos and uh, uh, greed and, and, and the normal vices that all of us have. And it, it isn't, it's part of the human system and they're, you know, it's at times there are checks and balances, but really the checks and balances right now is your own time and effort or working with somebody like you to get educated 
so yeah. that you know you're you're able to filter through some of this information and say oh well that doesn't make sense maybe i should you know should talk to my doctor about weaning off this medication you know maybe i don't need to be on stat <laughs> my cholesterol is 150 maybe i don't need to be on a statin still exactly oh, exactly that one's killing me that makes me stand up on my treatment table in the room and i just tell people you know i can't i'm an acupuncturist i can't tell you what to do if you were my father i would strongly suggest you research this right right because <laughs> it's ins- yeah it's ins- i mean it's i have a supplement called uh, sonic cholesterol that i have to give to some people to help raise right cholesterol because there's so many people out there with uh, low cholesterol levels from uh, it could be SIBO it could be chronic adrenal stress mm-hmm because, um, you know, the body's trying to burn through cholesterol to make more pregnenolone, et cetera. Um, but, you know, the studies, I think there's some good articles on the Weston A. Price Foundation site, and they show that um, out of a group of so many people that had surgery, the ones with the lowest cholesterol were the ones that died first. Yeah. Because they don't have that anti-inflammatory potential. Right. It's, yeah. and, and people forget that, and um, they forget that, you know, it's not the cholesterol so much that matters, it's the oxidized cholesterol yes. that matters. So it's the um, free radical status, oxidative stress status, and that gets into a little bit of the MTHFR and methylation, which I'm sure your listeners know some about. Um, and I don't know how much you've gone into depth on it or... Do you want me to cover it or? Well, we're, let's see, where we have, why don't you, why, yes, let's do a little bit. Why don't you do 101? Okay. On methylation. Cause it's yeah, such an so methylation, topic. it's actually not one reaction. It's several hundred reactions that happened um, a billion times a second in every cell in the body. And it's responsible for uh, adding what's called a methyl group, which is just a carbon atom with three hydrogens. Um, to different substances in the body. And the reason that's important is because it affects certain brain chemicals like serotonin and dopamine. It affects myelin, which is the coating around your nerves. You need um, to be properly methylated to develop myelin. Um, It affects your glutathione production, which is an important antioxidant um, that keeps heavy metals out, helps you detox, Uh, pesticides, things of that nature, helps the immune system, helps the gut. It's a natural antiviral. Um, And it can also affect uh, just overall inflammatory level. So, um, you know, MTHFR, it's just a long name for the enzyme that converts folic acid into the active methyl folate. Right. Most of our foods that are fortified have folic acid, which is synthetic. If you don't have MTHFR, it may not be so much of a problem for you. Mm -hmm. But each copy of MTHFR that you have, it slows down the enzyme function by uh, about 30%. Okay, so uh, the reason that's important is because unmetabolized folic acid, which you can test through metametrics, if that builds up in the bloodstream, it can lower your natural killer cells, and that puts you at risk for immune, autoimmune, cancer, things like that, disorders. So, um, you know, with the, the MTHFR and methylation there, 
many other what we call polymorphisms. It's not a true mutation like, mm-hmm. say, Down syndrome, but it's, you know, our DNA is made up of four letters. Right. And those four letters, uh, if the wrong one is put down at the wrong position, it changes how the enzyme functions. Right. I, and, tell, I tell people it's like having red hair. It's not really yeah. a mutation, but it's a difference. Right, exactly. So, um, and, and we found out that there are transgenerational epigenetic effects. Right. So, we're up to uh, four generations. So, oh, really, four? Yeah, wow. that's what I read. And, and uh, one interesting thing about methylation is that, you know, they used to say Gulf War syndrome was mostly psychological, mm-hmm. and they found that uh, there's a huge methylation component Isn't to it. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. That makes so much sense. So that's kind of the field broadly referred to as epigenetics, meaning that we can do things, we can take supplements, we can eat differently, we can live differently, um, we can exercise differently and take control over the expression of some of these genes. Right. Because it is, it, there are dials and levers, so to speak, and how it is is our behavior. And that's you were talking a little bit earlier about it's your sleep, it's the quality of the food. It's the stress you're um, you're under, um, and your the way you deal with it. And and the interesting thing for me, the epigenetic part is, you know, it, you might be dealing with your grandma's stress. You know, right. maybe that's why right. you, you know your life might be. People say, "Why, well, you know, I do everything right. How come you know I'm struggling so much?" Well, it might be your grandmother, or it might be your grandfather, or it might be a combination. Who knows? Right. Yeah, and I get a lot of females coming to me because uh, one of the things that MTHFR affects is whether or not you miscarry. Mm. Um, and a lot of women are prescribed folic acid, yeah, which exactly. is okay if you don't have MTHFR. But if you do, there's some um, data that suggests there's increased risk of miscarriage. Um and people, like you said before, they forget the basic physiology. The whole point of MTHFR is that you can't break down folic acid. Mm-hmm. And I see OBGYNs giving them massive doses of folic acid. Right. I'm like, don't get it. You don't right. understand what the principle is. <laughs> um, well, it's, a, it's equated. They, there's no thought that there's a difference. You know, they may have remembered somewhere that it needs to be converted. But, you know, it's you see on labels, it'll say folate on the list. And then you go under the, the, the exact ingredients. It'll say folate from folic acid. So, yeah, it's so not folate. Kind of, yeah. yeah, the terms get kind of bastardized. There's, um, you know, there's folinic acid, which is one step more active than folic, but one step less active than um, methylfolate. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's different metabolites in between there. But, um, you know, you need cofactors like magnesium and zinc, and the other B vitamins to really um, keep the whole methylation cycle going because there's other polymorphisms that play a role in there and um, things like lead and oxidative stress can inhibit your methylation as well. So even if you're taking the B vitamins, you want to make sure the lead levels are are low and um, get your oxidative stress under control because, you know, ultimately with MTHFR, you need B12 and methylfolate, but if you take it too soon under the wrong circumstances, it can create a compound called peroxynitrite, mm-hmm. which is you know very uh, damaging to cells and cell membranes, and 
uh, leads to lipid peroxidation, which is, you know, damaged lipids. So that's not something we want. So that's why I generally try to stabilize someone and help them with, um, you know, their levels of inflammation if they're elevated first before diving into working on any type of epigenetic issue. Interesting. Well, Dr. Jackson, you have been an incredible wealth of knowledge and generous with your time. Uh, if somebody's listening in and they want to get hold of you and work with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, they can uh, email me at uh, drtim072981 at gmail.com. It's Dr. Tim. 072981 at gmail.com. They can also visit uh, www.healyourbody.org. Fabulous. All right. Is there anything you want to say in closing? Uh, no. I mean, uh, if anyone has questions for me, they can certainly send them in. Um, I appreciate the work you do with your podcast and the information you put out there. And then um, hopefully we can reconnect again at some point. Yeah, it's been a great conversation. I, I really like uh, what you're doing for people and the approach you're taking. It's really solid. Great. Awesome. All right. We'll All talk right. soon. That was uh, that was a great interview. I, I actually really enjoyed going through and editing that and just listening to what he had to say. What part really got your attention? Well, what he... What he said that about you can't kill your way to health has actually really stuck with me. And when he said that, it just made me think of just everything, really. I mean, how how we treat, how Western, how traditional Western medicine treats things. If you're sick, you take antibiotics to kill off the bacteria, or you take antivirals. If you're, uh, if you have cancer, God forbid, you take chemo to kill off the cancer. And sure, that's effective in killing it off, but it doesn't make you healthy anymore. So it's an interesting thing to think about. It most certainly is. All right, thanks for listening. Please travel on over to our Facebook page. And we're at, if you look up Lime Ninja Radio, you'll find us on Facebook. Hit the like button. Yeah. We're almost at a thousand, so maybe you could be the thousandth. We'll send you a mug, maybe. <laughs> bribes. Do bribes work? Sometimes. I, sometimes they do. Who knows? Another thing on our website what's our web address? www.limeninjaradio.com. We've got there, it's a free report, the Lime Ninja Brain Fog Protocol. It has six proven strategies for reducing brain fog. And to get the, uh, to get the Brain Fog Protocol. Something we need right now. Yeah, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> I resemble that comment. <laughs> you just put your email in. Right. And we won't abuse your email, promise. Uh, we'll send notices about when there are new episodes available and uh, things like that. But right now we're sending out an email about every week or every other week. So we're not going to slam your email box. Or anything like that. Or no. anything like that. That's right. Nope. So thanks for listening. Uh, we look forward to talking to you next week where we'll have the Better Health Guy on. And he's got quite a story. And he's also involved with Lyme's disease. So every rock you turn over, it seems to be... A tick underneath that's bitten somebody. Yes, indeed. All right. We'll see you all next week. Oh, no, I almost forgot. We must have...
the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know ninjas taught the Kool Aid Man how to break through walls? Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique, and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and/or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.